BBCC episode 84, my realization of the day. The last set of Pride Month movies that we did, I deemed vampires as the most queer of the horror monsters. But after two witchy films in a row, are they now the actual patron saints of horror queerness? Let's talk about it. Time to take a hit and pass that spooky shit. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Blay Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror movies. I am your host, Devon Taylor. Sitting across from me, I have Mr. Garrett McDowell. Hello, hello. You know, for a second, I thought in that intro you were going to say that zombies were the new patron saints, and I was like, you know what? I'm not I'm not seeing the connect there, because the zombies in this movie and in most movies are just like, ugh. Zombies, like the zomb- least. <laughs> zombies are the asexual I representation, say, yeah. I would say, for, for monsters, maybe. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, uh, the, the, you know, I, I feel like witches have always kind of been, you know, very, very queer, you know, um, mm-hmm. just from, you know, their eccentricity, but, um, you know, vampires, you know, we were, we were kind of talking about this on, um, we did a, a live stream event, um, to help fundraise for Gaily Helpful. Oh, fun. Uh, we did this with, uh, Chandler Bullock and the Beauty of Horror, uh, pod team, and, uh, it was super fun, and we were talking about how vampires are, um, maybe the most queer baiting of any of the monsters because they're always very queer coded, but they're yeah. not so much explicitly yeah, queer. That's fair. Um, but then witches, I feel like, have definitely always um had a layer of queerness to them. Maybe the original uh queer horror icons. Yeah, I would say that this movie that we're going to be discussing today <clears throat> has does does have a lot of uh coding as you were saying. Some of it is is more obvious, some of it is uh very the uh you know um under the surface. You can kind of read in between the lines, but this movie does have a lot of pretty overt um subtext if you even want to call it or just the straight up text. Yeah, the the way that it is interpreted is very fascinating and um you know, we're kind of going with um, some lighter movies uh, this year for our queer horror films that we're exploring. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we had a camptastic time last week with the Covenant, and uh, we're we're sticking in the uh, with some witchcraft uh, going on here in Paranorman, which I'm excited to get to. But yeah. we, of course, need to introduce the guest that picked this film. She is the director of the Salem Horror Fest and producer of many other spooky things uh in the community it is kay lynch welcome to the show hello thank you for having me yeah it was I'm so s- exciting it was so exciting to see you hit that bong um and to see that you actually <laughs> do it every time every I, uh, time i was gonna smoke a bowl but i just had my nails done and <laughs> i tried to smoke a bowl recently and i'm due to getting my nails done and i like totally my like nail caught on fire <laughs> so yeah, i was yeah, like oh shit yeah it's a it's a whole different thing that you got to worry about and like the different positioning of the lighter whenever you have nails like it's it's an adjustment now uh, now i'm wondering if uh, listeners think sure. that devon just inserts the smoke <laughs> sound like lil wayne before he hops on a track is yeah. just like completely <laughs> that's the yeah that's the conspiracy theory like because it's it's funny because i've 
people have always said they're like, I don't know how you podcast high all the time. I'm like, I don't know, I just do. So is that what people think? They're like, he's yeah. not actually high. He's just putting those sounds in. As far as like life activities, I would say talking shit about movies is probably the least concerning thing that you probably do high. You know, <laughs> I feel like most of your life is probably operated uh, to some degree of being stoned. Oh, so it's essential. <laughs> like I, I, I need it to function like very yeah. much so. And I mean, I don't know if you guys can tell by the sound of the bubbles. That's a different bong too. So that's also how you can tell that I definitely do this every time because this is a new bong. Is this new or just new to you? Uh, new to me. This was uh, gifted to us by a friend. So um, oh, the gift that me. keeps on giving. That's right. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm super excited to have you on. I know we've uh, chatted online quite a bit, and there's been other times I wanted to get you in, um, but I'm super excited uh, to have you on. Um, have you been working on any uh, extra special projects this Pride Month? Um, so uh, I'm about to announce something soon. Next week, we're going to announce a cool watch along that we're going to do with some indie queer horror. And, um, and it's going to kick off uh, a bit of a series. So I'm really excited to announce that soon. Um, but otherwise, I just had this is my birthday weekend. Hello, happy birthday! Another Gemini. There Look at you go. guys. Look at you guys. I'm a Gemini, and so am I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I swear I am surrounded by Gemini's. Not only like in like my like you know in real life friend circle, but then also like I know so many of uh, other horror homies as well. Uh, both wives, Colangelo, Harmony, and BJ. Uh, their birthdays are a week apart, and they're both Gemini's. So oh there's my goodness! Four people in their household. <laughs> yeah, you guys are the Gemini crowd. I know there's also like a lot of like real life serial killers that are also a lot of Gemini. So actually, not as many as you think. Yeah, I've looked so up that list. More okay. than a few, though. <laughs> At least three. You know, so. I won't say that we're not represented <laughs> on there, but we are not the most represented on that list. Um, but uh, yeah, the. We have the misconception of being, yeah, crazier than, um, you know, than people like to put that on us, but that's it's not the case. No, not here. We're, we're, I don't think that this podcast would be described as crazy. Maybe a crazy fun time. A here crazy at the fun Blood time. Cinema Club. Yes, but um, you know, we do not <laughs> adhere to the Gemini slander uh, on this podcast. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> we gotta keep that going. Um, but yes, um, very excited um, that you guys are doing like an indie horror watch because, you know, I, I say, you know, I'm glad that uh, of the picks that we have for this month, they're a little bit different than um, the typical ones you would see because I feel like, you know, as much as I love Pride Month, obviously, um, it does get tiresome seeing just like people talk about the same queer mm -hmm. horror films like pretty much every single year, yeah. you know, so for uh, sure. Yeah. So glad that you guys are going to shine a light on an indie film. But I'm also uh, happy to shine a light on the film that we're going to talk today because it was a first time watch for me and I didn't <gasps> oh, know. Yay. Yeah, I didn't know uh, of its queerness right off the bat. So I'm excited. So let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> Paranorman released August 17th in 2012. Our the year of our Lord and Savior. The year we almost died, apparently. Remember that? Remember when the whole the whole world was just like, oh, December 21st, it's going to happen, guys, and we, then it didn't we, happen. We were so close. Whether that's Look, a good or a bad they thing. Didn't, uh. they, didn't, they didn't say how quickly it was going to happen. I think it's been a pretty steady decline. Since, so. <laughs> that's true. It's it, it kicked off a very slow death, unfortunately. Oh, man. 12. 
this film was directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler, with Chris Butler writing the screenplay for it. Uh, this film was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars that year. Uh, the score was done by John Bryan, who is the composer for films such as Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Lady Bird, amongst uh, many other prestigious movies. Um, aside from a Pixar short, this was his only uh, score for an animated feature film. He kills it in this one. This, I think this so has good. like a really solid vibe. I'm pretty sure that this is also like a... There's a lot of like vinyl of this movie. I feel like I've seen that a couple mm-hmm. of times that this is like a very beloved animated score. Oh, yeah. And I just wonder like, of you know, him doing all those other films, how they nabbed him for this one. Like, mm-hmm. I just find that fascinating. And uh, the cinematography was done by Tristan Oliver, which is, you know, got shot him out because stop motion is hard as hell. Wait a minute, you Devon. Know. You're saying even animation has cinematography? Wait a gosh darn oh, minute. Oh my god, don't even get me started on that <laughs> whole Twitter debate was going on uh, when people were debating if CGI uh, stuff had a cinematographer. Uh, fools, anime. fools. What? Yes. <laughs> That's it, insane. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, this movie um, made $107.2 million against a $60 million budget. Um, I mean, yes, that sounds like it made a lot of money, but considering the budget and marketing, um, it wasn't as much of a box office success, even though this did have a pretty good critical reception. It holds a 89% on Rotten Tomatoes on 186 reviews and a 3.6 out of 5 average on Letterboxd. And in one thing that was interesting, uh, Garrett brought up Frankenweenie before we started recording. Frankenweenie came out um, also in the fall of 2012 mm-hmm. so we had two family-friendly or stop-motion yeah, it films was a, it was a real dante's peak armageddon situation within, yeah and i feel like it kind of hurt both films uh frank and weenie did a little bit better but frank and we also had a smaller budget correction a real armageddon deep impact and then it's dante's there. peak volcano there excuse me before the yes. listeners start yelling at me <laughs> yes uh definitely one of those things but they came out just so close to each other which i feel is unfortunate for both films that I feel like neither one of them just got the audience that it deserved um, because I feel like people were mixing them up maybe and then also just being like, oh, well, we'll see one or the other, you know. So, um, you know, I wonder how that played out. But, Kay, what made you want to talk about Paranorman today? Well, I was going to say that it's also um, also like an ant's bug life situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Because you have stop motion versus CGI. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Tim Burton directed Franking Weedy, and um, who was also uh, initially was going to be the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, but then Henry Selick took over, yes. and of course Burton was still involved. But Henry Selick was actually instrumental in the beginning days of Leica, mm-hmm. the production studio for this film. So it's kind of an uh, yeah. interesting, like head to head. And I is. don't know one of them. I mean, obviously Disney has a little more power and influence so maybe like i should have reconsidered another date but one of them i think should have should have budged because i do think that this is the superior film mm-hmm. and um although i do love i, I love frank and weenie as well but i i think this movie is a little more charming and i love a lot of like films um but most of them i primarily respect the craft you know mm-hmm. i think it's a very such a beautiful patient interesting um you know medium but paranormal 
Paranorman is one of those films that I'm like, this movie was like, they were like, you know what? We're going to make a movie specifically for Kay Lynch. And, <laughs> and here it is. Um, this just hits all my buttons. Um, I love, love, love this movie. It is the 10 year anniversary of the film, which is exciting. Um, but the reason why I thought of this film first was because, um, you know, everything going on this year with the like 250 plus um, bills being proposed to target and demonize queer kids. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's just so disturbing. And it got me thinking about um, queer media for children and how little there is of it. And um, including horror, which as we all know is a pretty queer genre to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I, I just felt like this movie was a, a really perfect film to address the queer experience as a, a younger kid um and while addressing very serious issues beyond that that any adult can relate to and most adults still need to learn the lessons from yeah i guess i have a a, a question because this was something that was you know hanging over my head while i was watching this and as someone who is not a member of this community I, on the outside, would assume or just kind of think that movies like this or even like a recent Pixar film, Luca, I find could be potentially a little frustrating, especially for queer viewers or audience members, because it is far more of a coding rather than just an overt representation of. As people who are in this community, do you wish that the animated movies like this, the representation would be a little bit more on the forefront as opposed to kind of this coding subtext? Or do you think that there is kind of a, a gray area or maybe baby steps that need to be taken or, or, you know, are more likely taken, especially when this movie came out? Like, how do you guys kind of navigate those? Yeah. Um, well, in context, it, it came out a few years before gay marriage mm -hmm. was federally recognized. Um so it was, it, was, it was on the cusp of a bit of a moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's pretty complicated with this film. Obviously, horror has a history of queer coding. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a ton of films that we say are, quote, queer. Very few of them actually have explicitly queer characters mm -hmm. or stories. And so, and that is frustrating, um, you know, to always be like living our life in subtext mm -hmm. um but a few things that i think are unique about this film one that the one character that is explicitly gay is one uh, is is not um the one you would think of mm -hmm. first like it definitely subverts stereotypes and who we think of as being a gay person and it also is revealed at the end which kind of has a pro and con where it's like, well, it'd be nice to have had that representation throughout, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it also reinforces that it's not always like our primary defining characteristic. Sure. He still had so much else in his life going on where mm -hmm. that wasn't, the, you know, and it wasn't like he was in the closet or hiding. He just kind of says it nonchalantly at yeah. the end, like, right. girl, you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to like Paranorman and the themes, the character and the themes of the film um, being queer coded, I do think what's nice about this film and something that is increasingly being realized, um, not just in society as a whole, but even within the queer community, that there is no one way to be queer. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, there are things like biphobia and mm-hmm. um, people still trying to grasp the concept of non-binary and asexuality. There's a, this is a it's a huge umbrella yeah. of um, different genders and sexualities. And so the fact that Paranorman himself is not explicitly queer in any one of those ways, mm-hmm. I do think that his experience is very relatable to all kinds of queer people um the sense of being othered um and the sense of living in a world and belonging to a community that only you can see mm-hmm. um i think that they're pretty universal for for most queer people and, and not only queer people i think because it's coded it can a lot of people mm-hmm. in marginalized communities can see themselves in this character yeah i think a movie like this or even something like you know uh some some of the the forefathers of, of this kind of coding and, and not just horror movies but just kind of cinema in general I, I i i understand why movies like this maybe rely on a bit more coding as a bit as opposed to being more overt is because mm-hmm. a lot of movies like this couldn't get made and to be honest the kind of sad truth of it is still can't be made um when there was a lot of like the controversy regarding disney and the don't say gay bill and kind of their f- political and monetary funding of that some pixar creators came forward and were straight up like we have tried to offer this kind of representation mm-hmm. and the higher ups have told us no or to mm-hmm. change things or to doctor things because they don't feel comfortable in providing this sort of representation for people so although i think with movies like paranorman and the kind of coding that we no doubt will be discussing here um i am anxious for and looking forward to films that just straight up offer that representation yeah. to where it's you don't have to kind of read between the lines or certain subtext and yeah there is characters like mitch and this movie who does just straight up say at the end of the movie um i am looking forward to films that can provide this overt sort of subtext and representation or or, uh, overt representation without the subtext because i don't know if kids are going to be able to pick up on that yes so i'm i'm I'm, i am looking forward to that kind of Mm -hmm. brighter more prominent future and maybe studios like like uh who don't have necessarily the draw or the impact or the power like you said that disney has maybe they can take quote unquote more risks or something like that Mm -hmm. even though this is like unfortunately seen as a risk i am hopeful for those kind of stories in the future yeah i mean the the timing of it all is interesting because you know it's interesting watching this movie, the when it came out 10 years ago, what it was doing mm-hmm. and what you could say is like at the time when it came out, like this would be a very would be very admirable. Yeah. You know, in what they did uh, versus, you know, kind of watching it 10 years later in today's queer climate. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see what you were picking up on. Like, if would this be a little frustrating in a way that like it kind of felt it in a way because like, okay, you do have a queer character that is explicitly queer, but then like, you know, our main protagonist who is coded queer the whole time. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, so it's like kind of like, I would say for at the time that this was made, this was the best uh, uh, route that they could go with this. Right. Um, in, you know, for it to still have a chance, mm-hmm. you know, at being a successful film. Yeah. Um, just in that climate. Um, but still doing presenting it in a very honest and genuine way still mm-hmm. because you know the the language that they use throughout the film um, is still very explicit that yeah. like you know that Norman is a coded queer character like totally. you know like especially when he says things like I didn't ask to be born this way yep. um, and you know certain conversations they has with his dad um, you know like these are you know like those interactions that he has with his dad are you know, 
conversations that young queer kids have had with their parents when they're, you know, having that struggle. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, when you see it, it is still very explicit, at least to us. But then like, yeah, like what you're wondering though, this is a kid's movie, you know, this is a family friendly movie. And like, this is a movie that could be used as a tool to introduce these idea to children. Mm -hmm. Are they picking up on that language? No, because they, you know, don't understand those experiences so in that way, it is frustrating that like, okay, if you do want to, you know, present these ideas to children, like you can, you're still kind of dancing around it a little bit, you know, yeah. in a way. Yeah. I think it's interesting though, the idea of like, well, do kids watch this movie and, you know, notice the queer coding and, and the kind of the subtext. And although it might not be no to where they can look at it and say, oh, that conversation that the parents are having, that's actually in reference to real world people who deal mm-hmm. with these kind of struggles. Although that might not be the case, I do think it's understandable that a lot of kids might look at Norman and go, oh, he's different like me, or he or his parents have those conversations like me. They might not know that that's an intentional kind of one-to-one you know, representation there, but mm-hmm. I do think that they can watch it and recognize, oh, he, I kind of struggle with things like he does, and, and even though he is seeing dead people and is seen as this uh, you know, kind of weird clairvoyant, they can understand that he is still an outcast maybe like themselves or have this complicated relationship with their parents like they do. And also queer kids don't necessarily know exactly who they are yet. You know, they're still trying to figure it out themselves. So I think that there's still, I mean, some kids do. Um, But yeah, like for me, when I think about if I had this movie growing up, I, Garrett, what you're just saying, um, I would have felt that same experience Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. being like, I'm not exactly sure. I don't see dead children. I mean, dead children, sixth sense. Uh, I don't see dead people. (laughs) Um, But I can i i feel very similar i have similar experiences to him and i feel like i've had same interactions Mm -hmm. but throughout horror history it it really has felt like we've just been forced to just eat up the scraps of representation you know i mean we're we're always reliant on looking for that coding Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it certainly would have been nice if we could have seen mitch's boyfriend throughout the film like what Mm -hmm. if he was a character in the film um Mm -hmm. would have been really cool but i do think you know it's just one line towards the end yeah um which is a bit dismissive it's almost like we're just kind of trying to eke eke it out but at the same time that line recontextualizes the rest of the film Mm -hmm. and so i do think it does do a little more work and is a little more impactful than what it could have been um because it's obviously it it, it's a joke it's a punchline, Mm -hmm. but not not at mitch's expense it's just funny in the way that it subverts expectations but it also makes you think of the rest of the film and go oh my god he was gay this whole time and these little things make a little more sense. Yeah. Um, so I do appreciate it on on that level, but it's still very much a, a product of its time. I totally found myself like going back through and like, because I knew going, like I hadn't seen this movie, but I went in knowing that Mitch was the gay character. So I even like kind of was like kind of going through and trying to see like, you know, do they really give off any clues or like any other things? And thing is, they kind of do the thing where it's like, they don't really give clues that he's gay, but then they also like do make a point that like he is very much not interested in Courtney in any of her advances mm-hmm. or anything like that. And, you know, also like they gave him these like very interesting sandals that I don't know, just felt very gay to me. <laughs> um, uh, and, 
<laughs> and like they and and uh we talked about this on the on the um beauty of horror uh stream yesterday as well that i've noticed that in kids films what they do for um for queer coded characters and and this might be a product of you know these animators that kind of aren't allowed to do you know what they want mm-hmm. they always uh give these coded characters some real juicy lips that's that's what they do for <laughs> in kids movies what like we we were talking about uh ah. him in powerpuff girls and um the devil and cow and chicken like you always give them these little juicy lips and that's that's how you know that's the queer character to look out for i think in oh, any character though devon is looking at those lips i've noticed that that's a trend that devon's a lip guy <laughs> devon's a, a big guy. a big lip guy oh i'm a big <laughs> lip guy i am not hiding that at all i love uh, lips are very important yeah lips oh. are so important yeah, I know it sounds like a lot in this this episode pretty early on that we're like kind of maybe kicking this movie or saying that like ah it could have been a little bit more overt, it could have done this, but I think it's it's an important conversation to have, especially when we're looking back at these movies that you know as we've said even now some movies have a difficult time being made because they have the subtext or 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 credibly and overt in some of these ideas, but I do think it's important to to note that it's not just this character Mitch at the end of the movie and they throw out this line and then you go oh it's a it's a queer horror movie it's like no. The, the very movie itself and the subtext regarding Norman and what he's dealing with is is you know uh, exploring those ideas as well. So I think it's important and, and it's something that we had discussed and in, in looking at all of the movies that we're we're talking about this week and uh, this month. Excuse me. Is yeah, there are characters who are overtly offering this representation, but how do some of these ideas navigated throughout this movie? You know, how how do they paint this community? And mm-hmm. it is it is it in a positive light? Could it be improved upon? Is it does it you know just kind of offer positive representation or you know or there is there a little bit more nuance that maybe could have been explored for that era so although i think paranorman is is important and and you know commendable that it explores these ideas again like i said i'm looking forward to animated kids movies 20 years from now where Mm -hmm. they can just have gay characters and it's not a big deal (laughs) no i I mean i think it's you know in all the movies that we're kind of talking about you know like you said like these are films that you know the queer community embraces in positive lights Mm -hmm. and and but it's also there's nothing wrong with you know questioning and wanting more like it's not you know it doesn't have to be enough just to be like you know okay hey look we threw that line in at the end of this movie and you have your gay character like you know it's okay that like okay yes we're happy we have it but like also like there's still you know improvements that can be always can be made for sure you know yeah so I want to I want to give a shout out though to last year I think is a a pretty um, watershed moment for queer horror and especially um, with regards to horror for kids or mm-hmm. younger younger audiences because um, there was Fear Street yes which mm-hmm. you know was definitely targeted towards a teen audience and the protagonist um, you know was in a lesbian relationship that was the central part of three films yeah um and so and i just i ate up that movie i love it so much and i think about what it would have meant to me as mm-hmm. um as a teenager growing up and, and how important it would have been for me but not only that we also got the chucky tv series mm-hmm. um which is even deals with even younger kids who are exploring their sexuality or coming to terms with or mm-hmm. um and and that one's made by a queer creator and i just think that both of those films are uh, or projects are some of the best queer representation we've 
ever had in horror mm -hmm. and um they were just last year and yeah. so I, I i'm i'm hopeful for where this is headed yes oh yes like those are yeah definitely projects that like give us hope like especially with you know uh the, the chucky series because like you said like even though the fear street movies are you know for a teen audience and they are teens they're still a little bit on the older side like you know some of those actors are close to adults, if not actually adults still. Mm -hmm. Versus I love that the Chucky TV series, like those are 13-year-old kids, you yeah. know, getting to, you know, portray this on screen. And uh, it's fantastic. So, yeah, it's, you know, the improvements are being made. Um, but it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with still um, asking questions about the, the films that have already done these things. But, you know, to a... Um, you know, maybe to not the best degree that they could. Yeah. But um, let's go ahead and get into uh, the movie a little bit. We're going to have uh, Kay hit us with the 60-second uh, synopsis. Are you ready to explain okay. Paranorman? Yes, let's go. All right, I got 60 seconds on the clock for you in three, two, one, go. Emotionally intelligent and sensitive queer kid exposes town's capitalist lies and susceptibility to fash. <laughs> to fascism by conducting a supernatural therapy session. Wow. That was a quick one. That was quick. That might be a new PR. That might be a new record. I think that is the new PR. Uh, I need to I need to make a little uh I need to make another little chart to to keep track of. I love we we love seeing the different approaches to yeah. uh the the synopses. Are we going for coverage? Are we going for speed? Yeah. I mean, the, that, the, that, this was a new one as well because it was also worded like an old timey newsreel. We were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> young kid, I just, you know. That, that <laughs> sounds like town. it would be uh, the, the town crier would uh, yeah. explain the movie. He's holding like a extra, extra, read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love though because, I mean, yes, that, that very much does sum up the what we're, you know, really looking at in the film um, as you got to have uh, Norman, this kid who. He's a he's a big horror fan, mm -hmm. which I love um, as well, and uh, you know he can he can talk to ghosts, and I I love the um the reveal of it um at the very beginning with like you know he's just watching a movie with grandma, and yeah. then it's like no grandma's dead, and it's like oh shit like that was really good um so for my first time watch because I I love like a movies I think Coraline is one of the best movies ever made we're gonna talk about that movie at some point here on the pod and I love stop motion animation because like yeah admiration for the craft of it all is just like I've I've done like a little bit of stop motion but like obviously nothing on this kind of scale and mm -hmm. I mean it is just uh every time I see a different stop motion film and like seeing like what they also bring to it as well mm -hmm. you know because stop motion is such an old form but then like the way that they incorporated some cgi with like the the ghost effects and like all the coloring in this and like uh it's so smooth in this as well so yeah. uh the the craft is uh top notch uh love the voice cast uh we got john goodman in there for a little bit mm -hmm. we got anna kendrick as the sister uh cody smith mcphee as norman uh casey affleck uh plays mitch um, our gay character in the film, uh, which I love. Uh, he does a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really love this movie. It has a it had a really fun sense of humor to it. But then when things get serious and it get real, like it does, like the the stakes like felt real and like Norman really risking himself like against all odds. Like you know, like it really takes until the last you know one of the last scenes in the movie before people are finally behind norman even mm -hmm. though like you know all this stuff has still been going on so like as lighthearted and fun as this movie and sweet as this movie can be 
Like it does feel very serious and it feels it feels like it has weight to it. And I love that. Um, I, you know, that's one thing I want to see in more children's films, you mm-hmm. know, is like, you know, actually having a weight and stakes to it. So that way it's like, you know, kids are watching a movie, but also being like, hey, you know, like these are real things, you know, that go on in the world, not to this degree, but uh, the way that's presented is uh, super yeah. good. Love the colors, uh, the the shadows in this um, mm-hmm. movie are just like so good. You yeah. know, I've always been a really uh, big fan of Leica's work. And this is a movie that I like, I was like, I, I, have I, have I seen this? Is this one of those movies that like I was at a place and it was on and I was doing other stuff and talking to somebody. I, I couldn't remember if I've actually seen this movie, uh, but to be able to sit down and give it the intention, uh, the attention that it deserves. I was just, I'm always consistently blown away by Leica. Uh, not only from you know uh, a technical perspective, but a narrative one as well. Um, I I just uh, I feel like we could go on and on about like the technical, just uh, the animation of this film and the character designs. But something that just really blew me away, and Devon, you had mentioned it, is, is the lighting of this movie, and also the way the light interacts with the characters yeah. and Norman's ears. I there's saw this, that too. There's this <laughs> uh, technique, and it's in uh, it's in CG, but it's also I've just I don't think I've ever seen it in animation to this degree. It's called subsurface scattering, and it's this idea that of like how light, uh, you know, is is scattered uh, throughout uh, objects. So if I put a, like a flashlight through my hand, mm-hmm. my hand kind of glows a little bit. That idea is called subsurface scattering, and that technique is implemented through his ears and, and a lot of this movie, and I, it just makes it look so uh, lived in, lifelike, but also still has this wonderful animated sense to it, and the the way the designs of the uh, the the character designs are. Oh, he's 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 he wants to say something. <laughs> he's he's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I even wrote down in my notes like that sunset uh, that sunset shot. Yes, like reflecting through his ear. I was like, wow, like somebody yeah. really like took the time to yeah. do that. Like. Uh, whenever the toilet paper just starts mm-hmm. like blowing in the wind, like mm-hmm. blowing, you know how hard that would be to do in stop yeah. motion, yeah, like with tissue. What? Yeah, and uh, the way the the zombies, I I don't they they tell us not to call them zombies in the movie, but you know they're zombies. <laughs> but like the way that their their design and the paint on their faces and it looks so fleshy and like the their their noses and how it uh you know kind of goes into their this like sunken eye. I was just really just kind of just captured by the 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 attention to detail that Leica always implements in all of their movies. I am a huge admirer of the work. Coraline is the same as you, Devon, one of my favorite animated movies, but I also love Kubo and the Two Strings. I think that that movie is like a crowning achievement in animation. Uh, And although Paranorman is maybe not as beloved as some of their other movies, I was just still uh, just blown away by Leica and what they're able to achieve here. Are you a a big Leica head, Kay? Have you um, seen um, their, their full selection? I think I've seen most of them if not all and i like and respect them all um mm-hmm. i need to revisit uh Coraline. i saw it in theaters and i remember liking it but i don't remember much else mm-hmm. um and so i i very much want to revisit that one um but yeah like you said i'm just constantly amazed by the attention to detail and you know with regard to his ears like that is something happens in to us and you know the real world is light reflects differently on different Mm -hmm. objects and interacts with with everything it touches but i think it also reminds us that these are tact tactile objects too that are being manipulated to tell this story and um because of course you know animation can sometimes operate in this sort of like 
ether, this like fantasy concept where, Mm -hmm. you know, these aren't, this is just an exaggerated version of reality. And of course, Paranorman is, but it is also something that you can touch and feel. Um, And I think that brings it a little one step closer to reality than something maybe more like a traditional 2D or even CGI can capture. Mm-hmm. And I love how, you know, with, you know, them being tactile objects, like, you know, these are like actual constructs made. And I love um, the variety that we get, like the movie um, shows people literally of every shape, like mm-hmm. people, you know, some are shaped a little bit ridiculously. And, you know, with some of the proportions, like poor Mitch is an upside down Dorito <laughs> if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Um, and and um, and Courtney's dimensions too just oh. like crack me up. But yeah. like, but again, like when you look at like, but Norman and um and Alvin and Neil, mm-hmm. like everybody is shaped very differently. And like Neil has like you know the the freckles and like he's like very flush on his skin because he's a ginger. And like mm-hmm. um and everybody's haircuts are very specific and interesting. Um yeah, the attention detail is is amazing and. And one thing I've noticed with the Leica films, because now the only one I haven't seen is Missing Link, um, as they go on, they all get more mature as they go along. Like Coraline, you know, in itself is pretty dark and mature, and then this one as well. And then after this is Box Trolls, which Box Trolls is dark. It has like is some it is a mm-hmm. dark story behind it and also deals with, you know, um people of uh, of an othered community mm-hmm. um and then and then when you hit kubo and the two strings like then shit's really getting real so it's like yeah. they, i love that they still stay committed to pushing you know the envelope of like you know what um you know what stories to tell and to children i think that's a uh, very fascinating and i don't even know if they like kind of think of their films as children films you know like i don't know if like maybe that's just because stop motion and animated films just obviously, and mm-hmm. they are telling, you know, stories to be able to entertain a younger audience. But I feel like they do that, uh, that great thing that animated film should do is where it's like, if you're going to, you know, have a movie for kids, but then like, you still also need to make this to where it's like, Hey, there's parents taking those kids to see this movie. And like, this movie is a movie that like adults can still watch and get like, you oh, know, sure. real feelings out of. Yeah. Something I really enjoy about like, and if you look through like the trajectory of a lot of their movies uh, for you, missing link was the one that you were missing. Uh, Box <laughs> trolls is the one that I haven't seen. Um, but I think throughout all of their movies, they have such great attention to detail in regards to what they are adapting and like maybe the influences of what they're adapting. So if you look at Coraline and it's translating those Neil Gaiman pages to real life and and how do you make those tangible and and you know uh uh, uh photographable uh and and how do you bring those and translate them to animation uh and kubo and the two strings is obviously very anime inspired but also like paper mache and these mm-hmm. you know kind of uh and not, pa- origami. not pa- oh, origami is the word mm-hmm. i was looking for this origami kind of um feeling to them and then paranorman has this really nice kind of Ray Harryhausen kind of go motion, you mm-hmm. know, uh, 
uh, kind of horror DNA throughout it. And they even kind of poke fun at that earlier on in the movie where uh, Paranorman is watching sex and violence, as he refers to it as, which is super funny and endearing, but also uh, kind of having this B-movie quality to it to where, you know, you watch a lot of horror movies from yesteryear and they feel tangible and they feel tactile and you can feel the goop in the in the, in the blood and the grime and everything. Uh, and it has this really nice kind of endearing quality to it. And I, I love that that's translated here. And I'm a big sucker for zombies, you know, that are not, you know, kind of how they are today where there are a lot of movies nowadays, they're the infected or it's some sort of biochemical kind of warfare. I love classic rising from the grave kind of zombies to where their hands are punching out of the grave. And, you know, even some of the earlier designs that I had made for the logo for our show was kind of incorporating mm, that yeah. idea. So big sucker for those kind of old classic George Romero sort of, you know, night of the living dead zombies. For sure. And uh, speaking to like the art direction and attention to detail. So the city or the town that mm -hmm. this movie takes place in is Blythe Hollow. Um, but it is the, animators or um and the artists they actually came to salem oh, and nice. they did hundreds of sketches of references oh wow mm -hmm. and this film i think more than any other film that i've ever seen is the best on-screen representation of what our city uh not only looks like but feels like mm -hmm. um there's a lot of direct references to the city of salem that are in there they're not you know some of like even the storefronts um, some of the names are different, but like the way the light hits it and some of the shapes and the shadows are, I just, I was amazed to think that like in ways that I couldn't, I didn't even comprehend it until I saw this. I'm like, wow, they're capturing a spirit of this city that I, I didn't know was possible with animation. And for me, um, the, the aspect that I think is most personal or most like grounded to Salem is when he's walking through um, he's walking to school and he sees all of his ghost pals just kind of hanging out through his yeah. neighborhood. Neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, if you go down to like the Derby Wharf and the community and the houses down there, it's it just captures it so well. And it's like there's no other film would take the time to kind of just explore like sort of the the historic town and the residential neighborhoods that um, that exists in a place like Salem. And it's just. It, it really is incredible um, how they were able to capture it. And I think it gives it a certain authenticity um, that, you know, they really didn't need to capture. But yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's one of one of the things that sets like apart. I'm yeah. curious, though, Kay, how do you because you have kind of a unique perspective um, of we talked about before the show. I have been to Salem and I visited, but I went in like much more of a touristy kind of perspective where do you your this is home for you. I'm curious how this movie portrays kind of like the political demographics of salem the, i was gonna literally ask the same stuff hell i was yeah. like hell i was yeah. like yes our minds are <laughs> melding like how they like kind of yeah go into the touristy you know they have witchy wiener the shop and like yeah. all these other things even though they like kind of give norman shit for one being into horror but then also claiming that yeah. he speaks to ghosts but yet they still 
embrace the well we are you know this uh witchy town so uh, let's go ahead and sell it it also seems kind of like this small town vibe to where even the dad says you know he's like i i you know i think i'm a pretty liberal person and he he, he talks about like his his uncle kind of also being different um and and kind of this called him a limp-wristed hippie (laughs) i was like this dad throughout the movie geez louise but i am curious how salem does stack up because i would just assume this this town that is is kind of maybe not plagued by but is definitely known for this patriarchal uh you, you know literal witch hunt of of women and being being different i would think there would maybe be a little bit more self-awareness of kind of the history of the town do you find that salem actually does kind of have this you know uh middle america kind of small town conservatism versus just you know, i would assume it would be different i would assume it would maybe be a little bit more uh, liberal or left-leaning kind of like what is kind of the actual salem yeah so it's so funny to bring it up um because so the aspect of exploiting our history mm-hmm. is very much here um and it's gotten better over the years it certainly improves every year in terms of people realizing um how toxic and just disrespectful that is mm-hmm. um it, it, it's there's still an element to it um and i don't think we'll ever go away because um it's just one it's a very american thing to do is to turn um something from our history into a an entertainment attraction yeah um but also we've been it's what sounds known for um and so like when like in the 80s i think is really when sort of like the tourist initiative really started in earnest and um it was very tactless um Mm -hmm. and uh you know criticism grew over the years and eventually people kind of toned it down a little bit or found other ways to capitalize on the same tragedy but in ways that are a little Let's go. Um, and and now this and, and I've been part of it. You know, obviously, I run a festival in Salem. I am tapping into the same sort of morbid curiosity of like the mystique that Salem embodies. Um, you know, while I try to do everything I can to do it in a respectful way and also honor that history and honor the lessons that are to be learned from from what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, um, acknowledge that horror has always been used as a vehicle to discuss these sort of sociopolitical anxieties of mm-hmm. our time. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the people here, uh, those people are here <laughs> like the this sort of like conservative bent is still here mm-hmm. um it's overwhelmingly liberal though i think i think it's just there's it's very much one of those situations where there's like the old town the old the old town um versus new people you know the people who have moved here yeah. um in more recent years sort of like the carpetbagger <laughs> um sort of dynamic um so there's there's definitely but i would say like in terms of percentage i would think maybe like maybe 20 percent of salem is conservative and um you know the 80 80 percent is is fairly liberal Mm -hmm. um salem is an extremely welcoming place for 
um, certainly the queer community. If you walk around downtown, you'll see there are um, rainbow flags, now trans flags, and all the storefronts. Um, especially in June, we have a pride parade and festival. Um, there are people wave flags. Um, a lot of our leaders are queer and um, and in fact, the majority of our leaders are women, mm. which I think is really cool, really interesting. I mean, our mayor has um, been in office for gosh, like almost 16 years, and she's been she's been great. The head of our tourist uh, um, office is has been a woman for many many years. Our state senator, um, so many of our nonprofits that are located here are run by women. Mm -hmm. um, so. I think that is in large part why Salem has managed to stay mm -hmm. um, sort of like economically stable and um, <laughs> just like a, a healthy community to live in. Um, but the aspect of, um, you know, like the witch hunt um, as a, as a theme um, or as like a cultural phenomenon that happens where of course, like this, there was a very, a specific over witch hunt that happened here. Well, of course, witches aren't real, and the the women who are uh, the men and women who are hung or uh, accused um, were not witches. Um, this is just sort of a political strategy to demonize people that um, the more powerful and people of influence did not like, mm -hmm. or that they didn't uh, understand either. You know, or right, um, and and in a lot of these cases, it was a, a land grab. It wasn't even just we don't like them. It was we want their family's land, so let's take them out of the picture. Um, and and obviously, it was a very misogynist, you know, um, effort. So that there's also like you know not taking women seriously and mm -hmm. think you know women being more vulnerable and easier to go after like all of these things are very much part of that but of course like the crucible is you know one of the most famous works of literature mm -hmm. and it, it's about the Salem witch trials but it's really about McCarthyism and mm -hmm. the blacklist of the 50s and so um and then it just Gosh, it just nails on a chalkboard. I mean, everything that yeah. like an idiot Trump said was nails <laughs> on a chalkboard, but the use of the term witch hunt, mm -hmm. you know, we all here found profoundly offensive that he would um, kind of twist what that um, mm -hmm. concept really means because really the, there are witch hunts throughout the world um, targeting different types of people. And um, there are several witch hunts happening right now in this this country and the one that's most personal and seems the most sort of like immediate uh and uh, is like the, the transphobia that is the the transphobic kind of campaign and the the way the, like uh, um calling queer anyone who is either queer themselves or associates with queer people or supports um you know pride is a groomer to mm -hmm. me, this is like the classic example of what a witch hunt is, is that you just you slap a name on someone that you don't like, you say they're all the same, and then you criminalize it, and eventually you execute them. And um, until, until then, it's time to exploit them as well. For money. <laughs> so it's like, I love how the, the film kind of, and why watching it now is so interesting, because the film's whole crux is like, you know, this town 
not educating themselves on the the past of their town Mm -hmm. of you know what their ideas of certain people are of you know not trying to under you know everybody is just everybody in this town knows that you know norman can talk to ghosts or that he claims it but yet instead of anybody trying to help him or understand him it's just you know like oh stop doing that uh don't do that like you know and it kind of just shows that like when they don't educate themselves on you know the crimes of the past Mm -hmm. that they you know are going to repeat themselves and becomes you know a cycle so it's and that's what becomes you know the undoing of this town especially like you know how quickly they went into like okay there's these zombies that you know are around but you know they aren't actually doing anything but then all of a sudden it's just oh nope it's time to weapon up and time to mob up and let's you know do it and like it literally kind of shows this thing where all of it could have been avoided and i love that you know the you know the uh climax of the movie has this like you know action beat for a moment but then the resolution of it is norman simply having a conversation with the you know uh accused witch quote unquote Mm -hmm. Um, who is also just a girl that had these abilities that, you know, nobody took the time to understand, which can also be looked at as, you know, their abilities being linked to their queerness as well. You know, when you don't take the time just to understand and fill in the gaps yourself. And then, you know, this is this is what happens. So it's like uh, watching the film, you know, in today's climate, just like I was like, whoa, wow, this is crazy. This was 10. This movie was 10 years ago. Like insane so like the the way that they handled it like the the second half of the film like surprised me in so many ways yeah in uh the way that it unfolds its story yeah there's a real clear attempt to like celebrate those who are different than you and those differences are not uh, a, a bad thing they're they're to be celebrated and they're to be you know uh supported and uh one of my favorite scenes is like pretty early on it's when norman and neil kind of first hang out and uh, I believe it's Mitch who says something to Neil of like, why are you, this kid's weird. Like, why are you hanging out with him? And like, he essentially says he's different. Why are you hanging out with him? And Neil kind of says like, yeah, he's different. Like, that's why I'm hanging out with him, Literally, you know? Yeah. And like that, I just thought that that was a really great way of putting it and, and kind of highlighting the kind of central motif and, and theme of this, of this movie is to, to celebrate those who are differences than you and to look at your own differences uh, to people and to not maybe try to hide those, but explore those. And, and that's kind of what makes you who you are. Are, Shout know? out to Neil, the the ultimate ally, yeah. because I love how at that point and when they have like the bonding moment beforehand, when uh, they're like, oh, well, people bully you too. And he's like, yeah, you know, because I'm fat and I sweat <laughs> whenever I run too fast. And, yeah. and, and like and listed off all just so casually and he just kind of shrugs his shoulders. It's just like, eh, it's whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's also playing fetch with a dog that's like dead, which is uh, was a hilarious moment of him throwing the stick and then the dog can't get it. So he just goes and picks it up himself and just throws it again. Uh, Neil is the absolute uh, best. Uh, he's uh, what a treasure. <laughs> yeah, this- and I think, and I think, one of the things his character represents and a few others too i mean unfortunately there isn't much diversity in this film in mm-hmm. terms of um you know the racial and ethnic characters but there um i think the concept that neil represents and and later some of the other characters like the bully um is the sort of like this concept of intersectionality mm-hmm. in that like people are different and weird or, or people are weird in different ways or people are um are, are different in different ways and that 
um, sort of otherness or feeling of being an outsider can also be a way to connect with other people who are different than you. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I, I just, I really appreciate because of course, um, Neil has put up with a lot of shit himself. Um, and he has a different way of coping with it and mm -hmm. a much different, um, outlook on life, which I think is also very sophisticated for a kid's film to acknowledge that the way we cope with things is different. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Agatha very much is a product of trauma. Exactly. And, and she, though, you know, she is so hurt by what's happened. I mean, she was killed, so can't blame her, but mm -hmm. she wants to enact revenge and wants the people who, um, to hurt her to experience the same or that plus more like, and, um, and when they talk about, uh, Paranorman's dad and the mother kind of says, you know, sometimes, um, people say things they don't mean when they're scared. Um, this concept, and honestly, it's something that I've only started to learn personally is that anger is usually an emotion that is covering the true, mm -hmm. the actual emotion that mm -hmm. usually anger is really just fear in a different costume or sadness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie deals with that in a lot of ways and that Paranorman himself kind of has some depressive you know, kind of um, aura about him, mm -hmm. um, you know, because he's been othered. Um, and, you know, and, and Neil is someone who has been othered in his own way and has a different outlook. And I think it just kind of, it, it's it's very subtle, but I think it, it is a way in which we all carry our baggage differently. Well, and it's why I think this movie is so emotionally sophisticated. It, mm -hmm. And it's like, it shows it depends on, you know, the support system you have around you. It's like, you know, Neil has his brother who is gay. So obviously he has someone that is also othered in his corner that cares for him. Um, and, you know, I relate to Norman in a way of like, you know, when he does the thing of like, okay, well, if I don't have any friends and connect with other people, then I'm going to make the choice that I want to be alone and like, I'm better off by myself, you mm -hmm. know, like, and, and especially like when he's having that conversation with his dad and, and the mom says that, and Norman has the line that literally like brought tears to my eyes when he's like, well, he's my dad. He shouldn't be afraid of me. And mm -hmm. I like. I was like, damn, like that, like hit me hard. It's yeah. hit me again now. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, and I love that his conversation with um, Aggie at the end is basically him saying like, you need to be like how Neil has handled his like, you know, mm -hmm. trauma. Like, you know, you want to inflict the same pain, you know, doesn't make you any uh, different than them, you know, even though what they did was absolutely horrifying. I love that Norman like keeps reinforcing that too throughout. He's like, he's like, no, 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 like, don't get me wrong. Like, they made a horrible mistake. They did a terrible thing. Um, they were dumb. Like, he never loses sight of that when he is like uh, assuring her in that. And I absolutely like love that level of maturity from Norman is like crazy. Yeah, I think that this movie does have a lot more nuance than I maybe would have anticipated given like the subject matter because the movie does take kind of a unique approach and especially in light of, you know, recent world events. Definitely, I would I'd be curious to talk to you guys about it because there's a lot of this film of saying that this patriarchal power that was in place mm -hmm. 
kind of there is this idea throughout the movie of people deserve a second chance and people you can allow people to be sorry and acknowledge their mistakes which i just thought was very interesting especially with context of like like watching this in a post me too era and and just the idea of men in power inflicting you know pain and punishment on those beneath them and this it was just very interesting watching the movie with this kind of pro second chance you know, I idea that Norman kind of, he goes to Aggie and I don't, it's, it's curious because he kind of tells her that she should forgive these people. And I just thought it was interesting. And it was probably maybe one of my uh, questions about the movie or something that I kind of struggled with is the perspective that Norman comes to Aggie with and telling her that she needs to forgive these people. And it's, and she's just kind of inflicting the same kind of trauma and anger that they put on her. And it was just something that I think maybe would have maybe played a little bit better in 2012. But just nowadays, it was just kind of it was interesting to me. Is that something that like or is that something that works for you guys or something that because I just found myself kind of struggling with this idea of it's like, well, no, Aggie, you need to forgive them because people deserve a second chance. I mean, I think it's a again, it's just like it's a big like maturity thing that's like even above like the maturity comprehension of us adults in a way mm-hmm. like, you know, like the idea of like you know like because whenever i kind of put in like a context of like you know uh people that have you know caused me pain like due to like you know um you know causing racial tension between us or something and even though and like when i kind of think back to like you know people that have suffered even way worse than me yeah you know like what you know what degree of forgiveness do i have yeah and it's a uh, it's tough and i think it it then like i think the fact that the movie is a- having us ask that question mm-hmm. um you know is a lot more nuanced than one would think about it so yeah um to kind of wrap things up to like give our final thoughts and our um our scores out of 5 what would be our object for this one I, I, oh, I, for I didn't Paranorman? think of it. i didn't think of it but um but i'll uh, think i'll think but yeah to like kind of get my final thoughts on it though is um, this movie, you know, it, it does that thing of like kind of luring you in of, um, you know, like, you know, it being sweet and simple, but like once you like kind of have time to like kind of sit with it, like it does have like these big nuances and like it's like that perfect movie for like a kid to watch and then have them watch it again 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that's when they like kind of really get the impact of it. Yeah. Um, as far as like you know presenting it for children does it is it without its flaws definitely not um but um i think just the attention and um the effort put behind it and the thought put behind it Mm -hmm. um definitely gives it a lot of points in my book um so this is a four four and a half out of five for me um i I came away enjoying this quite a bit how about witch wieners for yes, witch there wieners we go. Out of five. four and a half out of five witchy wieners for me. What about you, Kay? Uh, for me, it's five. It's just so personal to me. Um, not in just terms of like all the things that I just am drawn to when it comes to media. I love horror. Um, it has so many queer themes in it that I relate to, but even on my own emotional journey with therapy, there are a lot of things, um, that I'm still wrestling with as an adult um, in terms of like, when I think about the concept of forgiveness or what is it, you know, what is Paranorman really asking Agatha to do? 
And when it comes to sort of like the social political aspects of um, like a group or idea that is oppressing you or targeting you, I have a hard time having sympathy for the people who mm-hmm. enact that. Mm-hmm. So like I'm very petty <laughs> in the <laughs> sense, and, and maybe it's a strong word, but in the sense that like I want the peop- anyone who uses the word groomer in a way to target queer people, I really personally, <laughs> emotionally want them punished. But when I think about things that people have done to me personally and my own relationship with my father and how I have issues and I probably will never forgive him, it's not giving him a second chance if I'm able to get there. It's about allowing myself to move on. Mm-hmm. Because when you hold that much resentment and that much hate, even if it's justified, it can often force you to stay in that state of mind and hold you back from living your life in the present. Um, And so when the concept of these ghosts um, doing the thing that they need to do in order to move on, to me represents doing the emotional work of therapy and you mm-hmm. kind of figure out what is what is it that's holding you back so that you can live in the moment and i just the the idea that a children's film <laughs> could touch upon these themes in a way that most films uh, for any audience do um, i think it's just really special and for me that's why i give it five witchy wieners out of five yeah, it's something it's going into this. I had really no idea like the level of nuance. And this is this movie is kind of forcing me and, and, and us in this in this episode here to have like kind of difficult introspective conversations. Um, and I think maybe from my perspective as somebody who is not a part of this community and doesn't have the same type of relationship parental or otherwise, I love that kind of the kind of juxtaposition of Annie who or Aggie who was literally killed by this oppressive force versus Norman who is just having a tough relationship with his dad and like the the stakes seem so much higher but at the root they're mm-hmm. kind of the same thing yeah you know I I love that and that um that idea that the movie is wrestling with just from for my own perspective and somebody who is completely on the outside looking in I wouldn't feel comfortable telling somebody else who has this had this conversation with this with their parents and this complicated relationship with their parents that you need to forgive them that just feels uncomfortable for me to tell somebody to do that that's their own kind of personal journey so i think for for this movie to do that to me is just something that i would maybe even need to watch again and and kind of have this kind of um just see how the movie approaches that but i do think it's interesting that norman even though the 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 scenario isn't the exact same the roots are still the same and that he's still he, he's telling aggie yes my experiences are different but they're also kind of the same and maybe him mm-hmm. like telling her i like the way that you had uh, stated it Kay, is that it's not about you need to give them a second chance it's maybe you need to give yourself a second chance and to like mm-hmm. have this opportunity to grow and move on because it's not removing this weight from their shoulders it's removing it from your own shoulders you know it's it's definitely a lot of big ideas a lot of like heavy kind of conversations that i would honestly be more comfortable having with my therapist but you know like for it to be approached by like a stop motion animated kids movie about zombies and like seeing dead people is very surprising so like 
I don't know. I'd be very curious to rewatch this movie and and approach it from a different perspective. Right now, I'm out of uh, I think uh like a four out of five wieners, but potentially for room for growth because this movie just surprised me with its complexity and its nuance, but it's also just really endearing and very funny as well. I don't think we talked about that very much. This movie is very funny. It it's hilarious, funny. <laughs> even though it's dealing with a lot of these deeper <laughs> ideas, and I could really see it kind of join that pantheon of fun like uh kind of more geared for kids kind of annual halloween rewatches because this just totally fits that fall vibe but then also is just like i think i need to sit alone and cry for like two hours <laughs> i'm saying yes i did i did not come into this episode thinking that paranorman was gonna have me almost crying but here we are <laughs> So here on the Bloody Blend Cinema Club, we like to do a little game called Movie Math. Uh, it's a pretty simple 1K. You just think of a couple movies that you could add together, multiply, divide, subtract, whatever your heart desires, all of which just have to equal the movie that we talked about today. So what are the movies that you picked? Okay, so I'm going to go with, um, first I'm just going to mention that the movie Cat People from 1942 yeah. is the movie more than anything that I see myself in, like that is a movie that I can show my therapist and mm -hmm. say, this is, this is who I am and what my experience feels like. Um, but I'm not going to choose that film. I'm going to choose its sequel, the curse of the cat people, mm -hmm. uh, because it is, um, well, I don't even think you could call it a horror film. It was a very strange left turn for a sequel to um it's it's first film but it is fascinating because um it's about the hmm, how do i say this without having to like go through the plot there's like the daughter of a character from the first film yeah. is seeing the ghost of her father's ex essentially <laughs> and um and that ghost is a positive force in her life she's almost like a um, like a fairy godmother kind of like figure and the little girl herself is kind of weird and um and her parents are struggling with understanding her and other kids are making fun of her and everything um so i think it, it really captures the feeling of being a queer kid or or, or a kid who's different mm -hmm. um struggling with the world around you um and i would add that to a very different film called assassination nation mm -hmm. oh yes love that one. <laughs> yes which um well for one also takes place in salem and deals with the concept of witch hunts mm -hmm. and um sort of like a social community betrayal targeting people from within for either real or imagined um quote sins mm -hmm. um and i think that that film really captures the spirit of what happens the sort of cultural mm -hmm. phenomenon of targeting and how when you light the fire it can quickly spread and infect others who would maybe seemingly not appear to be easily susceptible mm -hmm. to that sort of thing they can still get sucked into it and participate in it so i think you know together you take the childlike spirit of feeling othered and what can happen in the world around you when it decides to turn against you yeah. um i think is uh what this film does in a very fun and charming 
complicated and serious way. Yeah, for yeah. those of you who haven't seen Assassination Nation, it's essentially the crucible with smartphones and assault rifles. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. also like leather red trench coats. Uh, I love yeah. that movie so much, and I wouldn't have even thought to put it in the equation for this one. So mm-hmm. I love that out of the box thinking there because mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Because yeah. I totally see it. I was like, holy shit, like mm-hmm. that's so true. Um, <laughs> mine, I went a little bit simple with this one. Um, I have Coco divided by the sixth sense Mm -hmm. Um, with Coco, obviously um, one with the the visual style of it, um, the way that portrays like the dead with these, you know, very vibrant colors um, is an interesting juxtaposition. And also Coco in dealing with, you know, the, um, you know, sins of the past in a way, um, except with Coco, it's, you know, very more specific to the family itself uh, Mm -hmm. versus uh, the town. Um, and then, you know, kind of dividing that with the sixth sense of, you know, obviously, um, the kid having the same ability, being able to see and communicate with ghosts and, um, the, you know, the, the melancholy tone of that film, um, this film goes back and forth between that, between, uh, its use of humor, Mm -hmm. but then also still having like these very melancholic scenes to them. Um, especially with um, Aggie's backstory and um, just the way that Norman, you know, has this um, very seemingly large responsibility, you know, put on him um, in a time when, you know, he won, you know, very much kind of says it like, you know, like I, you know, didn't ask for this gift, but like this is upon me, this is a part of me and um, feeling compelled to do something about it. Um, so yeah. Um, I would put it uh, there. Yeah, Coco is just joins the pantheon of like, yeah, generational trauma. Woo! <laughs> Talk about movies that like make you cry. Coco holds the spot oh. for my number one cry movie. That oh, movie man. broke me. <laughs> uh, I was a puddle of a man. Uh, for the movies that I selected, uh, I went also pretty simple with my equation. Um, I picked Night of the Living Dead for pretty obvious reasons. Totally. Um, stylistically as well, the movie is has, I mean, it. it's weird to say it has these qualities because it kind of like was like the granddaddy of a lot of these is like this B-movie uh, kind of disguised film that also had the, has these very rich uh, political and social ideas running throughout it, but exploring them in such a fun kind of pulpy tongue-in-cheek way. Um, I also added uh, Monster Squad uh, because you have this kind of group of kids who are going over, you mm-hmm. know, going up against this supernatural force and kind of being outsiders and being different and celebrating those ideas. But then I'm also adding kind of the social uh, political themes of uh, Passion of the Joan of Arc, which is an old silent movie, uh, which is also about this woman who is up against the patriarchy and uh, punishing her for being different, for being an outcast and kind of the sins of the, the people who who are in positions of power and how they choose to use that power and to inflict it upon people who are different. It's funny that you add all of these movies and it makes it makes Paranorman seem way heavier. <laughs> it does. <laughs> like it's it like does. I'm taking all of like the deepest, darkest ideas from a lot of these movies, but this movie is really fun and really sweet and charming. So maybe add all of those and then just like kind of distill it with like sugar, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I add yeah. in just like just the, the sweet era, uh, you know, the sweet kind of tone of this movie because it is it's, it's adorable, but it also like a lot of you know some of the best animated movies. You know, we had mentioned Pixar. Pixar's done it a lot too of approaching these very adult ideas but making it very digestible for not just kids but adults too you know kind of so maybe we'll take your 
one, put it in parentheses, multiply it with some Pixar vibes. Exactly. Yeah. And just, you know, the kind of the idea of, you know, sugar makes the medicine go down a little sweeter. And, and Cal is like, you're oh done. You're done talking. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you guys are so done. Um, and, and, and that's actually the second time you've included uh, the passion of Joan of Arc uh, in an equation. You guys so. need to check it out. I'm dying. <laughs> Being eaten by dog. Oh, man. So definitely have a lot of uh, movies to chew on, guys. Um, and Paranormal is a lot more to chew on than any of us expected the way that Cal is chewing on Garrett's face right now. Uh, Kay, thank you so much for bringing this film onto the podcast. Uh, it was so much fun uh, divulging into it. Um, you know, like this is the, the conversations that we're trying to have here um, with these Pride Month episodes. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you for having me. Yeah. What are you working on right now? Where can the people find you? Um, well, now I'm going to smoke a bowl with a candle lighter <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, just keep an eye out for, um, a collaboration between Salem Horror Fest and the Horror Queers where we're, um, working to feature queer indie filmmakers. And of course, um, the Salem Horror Fest returns. I'm moving it out of October to April so we can have a little more breathing room and welcome more people to participate um, in April. So, yeah. And if you want to follow along to any of that, I'm on Twitter. My uh, username is Video Coven. And of course, Salem Horror Fest is just at Salem Horror Fest. And Gara, what are you working on right now? Um, and now that I've survived being mauled by Cal, um, I could, <laughs> um, you guys can find me on uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, TikTok, uh, just uh, Garrett McDowell. Um, always publishing something or other. If you guys want some more genre um, talks and conversations and pod goodness, uh, I have a Star Wars podcast called Scum and Villainy. Um, lots of just, uh, stuff to uh, talk about there. We have big, busy Star Wars month. So if you guys are into that sort of thing, we'd love to have you. Yes. And um, of course, make sure you're following all that. I love how, um, you know, Garrett was a busy boy and we were still able to keep the show on track. That's right. We didn't miss a week. Uh, we love to see it. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. Um, I am just finished up a music video, so I'll have some clips of that coming out soon. Um, I did take part in the fundraising event, um, with, uh, Gaily Dreadful and the beauty of horror, um, which you can still watch. Um, it is, we did it on clubhouse and you can go and replay it. Um, we did live watch alongs of prom night Two. hello uh, Mary Lou and um, I was not on that one but then I joined in for the malignant watch along which was so much fun we had a blast um, talking about Gabriel my favorite drag queen and um, <laughs> then we did a discussion on um, queerness and horror and pretends to um, queer bodies and disgust it was a super fun panel discussion and um, obviously go to gaily dreadful and um, donate if you are able they are trying to hit $4,000 for the month, and they are over halfway there. So um, we are trying to raise money for the Transgender Law Center. So make sure to go check that out um, and follow the... Um Before we uh, uh, continue plugging more things, I did want to plug, not necessarily like a piece of our content, but it just reminded me, if you guys want to watch another horror movie that's more of a recent release that deals with a lot of queer ideas and has, talks about spark, uh, talk about sparking an interesting conversation, David Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future, has a lot of queer subtext in it. And so if you guys are interested or haven't had the opportunity to see that, 
I think that that is a movie that if we were to cover on this podcast, I feel like we'd be talking about for a very long time. So I'm looking forward to maybe having that conversation perhaps next year for Pride Month. Oh, yeah. We uh, we got to we're always going to talk more Daddy Cronenberg <laughs> on the podcast. So definitely excited for that. Excited for the rest of the movies that we have uh, for our Pride Month coverage. We'll be talking um, a, a Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, another film that um, has been, you know, heralded for its uh, queer representation but i feel like we'll also have uh, some similar questions uh, to ask about that film yes yes but that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the blay blunt cinema club new episodes drop every tuesday so make sure you're subscribed and do not miss an episode you can follow us on social media at bloody blunts pod on twitter and instagram and if you're listening on apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a nice little five-star review that'd be real cute of you but until next time guys Stay lifted. <laughs>